this morning we're beginning, uh, or not beginning, but uh, continuing in our series uh, that we're calling Heart Matters. Uh, This is the second week, and I want to catch you up a little bit on what we did last week because it really formed the foundation for the entire series. Uh, And and this this series, Heart Matters, is really a topical study uh, of the scriptures of our hearts. Uh, And and we're doing this at Christmas because Christmas is really a time that uh, involves our hearts, right? We watch, uh, we watch made-for-TV movies that pull on our heartstrings, and we do all these things that have to do with the heart at Christmas. And so we wanted, to, we wanted this Christmas to say, well, what does the Bible have to say about our hearts? Uh, and how can we more deeply understand God, and how can we more deeply understand ourselves by understanding the heart? And what we really realized uh, last week is that the heart is central to who we are. Uh, that the Greek word for heart is the word cardia, uh, and it is a word that encompasses not just our emotional center, which is what our culture tells us, that your heart is your emotional center. Uh, but the word cardia encompasses much more than that. It encompasses all of who we are. That is, that the heart, the cardia, is the center of your motivation, your emotions, your thoughts, your appetites, your desires. All of those things are rooted and have their beginning in the heart, in the cardia. And so it truly is the center of, of who we are. And I made this statement last week, that you can't help but live from your heart. And a lot of times we, the culture and sometimes even in, Christian, in, 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 in the Christian faith, we say, you know, we need to live more from our hearts. But that's really a misnomer. It's an error to say that because, because of what our heart is scripturally, the center of who we are and the seat of all of these things, that we can't help but live from our hearts. You're already living from your heart. And, and so in your heart is, is the center of your desires, your deepest treasure. This is why Jesus says, show me your heart and I'll show you your treasure. Uh, that's a more modern way of saying it. But where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Uh, because your heart holds your deepest affections in life. And so what I said, uh, ultimately where we landed last week was, uh, first of all, understanding the centrality of the heart. Uh, but where we landed was, we don't, uh, we, we don't need to work on living more from our heart. We need to learn to make Christ the affection of our hearts. Uh, that's ultimately what we need to do. Uh, and I talked about how worshiping together is really training our heart. That every time we pray, every time we take communion, every time we open our, our, uh, our ears to hear the word of God preached, every time we, we stand and we sing a song that declares the goodness of God, we're training and reminding our hearts that Christ is ultimately uh, where our true satisfaction is. The only thing that can satisfy the appetite and desire of our heart is Christ himself. That's where we landed last week, that the heart is absolutely central. Our theme verse uh, for this whole series is found in Proverbs chapter 4, and it's verse 23. If you grew up in the church, you probably have memorized this in your life at some point. Uh, But it's this verse. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above everything, guard your heart. Because everything flows from it. 
to give you a little bit of perspective, I wanted to read that verse in three different translations, just to kind of give us a sense of how this, this popular verse has been translated uh, over several translations of the Bible. Uh, the message, uh, which, is more, which is a paraphrase, not a true translation, but the message says this, Keep vigilant watch over your heart, for that's where your life starts. Uh, The New Revised Standard Version says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. And then the Young's literal translation says, Above every charge, keep thy heart, for out of it are the outgoings of life. What I want to do today is I want to unpack and explore this instruction from the wisdom literature to guard our hearts. I want to unpack what it means for us to guard our hearts this morning. Uh, now, this is, uh, this is a difficult task. And, and in fact, this, is, uh, this message, uh, more than others or more than other typical messages, uh, has, has brought more uh, work, uh, more confusion, fear, trepidation of trying to unpack this loaded phrase of guard your heart, right? Because we throw that around a lot in in the Christian world. We say, oh man, we need to guard our heart. You you need to do better in guarding your heart. We we throw this around a lot, but in my effort to really get down to what does this actually mean, it it was really difficult. And part of the difficulty comes from this. It's pretty abstract, right? I mean, if the heart is the center of who we are and we can't help but live from our hearts, then when we talk about guarding our hearts, we're talking about an all-encompassing idea. I mean, we're talking about a huge thing to guard our hearts. And so it becomes really difficult to nail down exactly what does it mean to guard your entire being, right? Because what what the Bible is actually saying when it says guard your heart is is it's saying guard your entire self. Okay. Yeah, because I didn't have any other plans this weekend, you know? I mean, like, like what does that even mean, you know? Um, I mean, if the heart were just the emotional center, then I could surely get a handle on how to guard that. I mean, if my heart were just one thing, I could guard it. But if my whole life flows from it, then it becomes very difficult to even know where to start. And so we really do have this question of, you know, what does this actually mean? And, uh, and, and I say this sort of in jest, but in reality, this is sort of like what it's like. You know, we, we ask someone, what are you doing this weekend? Well, I was just going to, you know, guard my heart. Uh, well, what about you? Well, I was going to, you know, put on uh, you know, a little bit of the armor of God. You know, just a little bit. If you put it all on, it gets pretty heavy. Um, and so I was just going to, you know, I was just maybe going to put on a little bit of the armor of God this weekend uh, just to test it out, you know. Um, and, and so it, it's difficult to understand because it's a huge idea. The other thing that we have to wrestle with is that this phrase, guard your heart, has a ton of baggage, right? I mean, not only is it just difficult to understand, but it has tons of baggage with it. Uh, baggage like this. I always understood guarding my heart as sort of a necessary evil in my life. Like, like as in, like it always had sort of negative overtones. Like it was going to be hard, if not impossible to do. It was going to be exactly sort of unclear as to what to do. But it was something that I absolutely had to do. 
Uh, and, and the end result, if I actually did it, was going to be good. The necessary evil. Like this thing that I kind of just got to navigate through, hoping for some sort of good end result when I guard my heart. Uh, and, and so for me, growing up, it was really a, a necessary evil. Uh, but it also meant this, that in order to guard my heart, I really understood I needed to build walls around my heart. It was always a very defensive posture to guard your heart. Guard your heart. Build walls around it. You need a fortified city around your heart. And so it meant keeping people at arm's length so that they didn't hurt me, so that they didn't corrupt me, so that I didn't make a mistake. I mean, guarding my heart was always sort of this this posture of my life that was keeping everything at arm's length. I'm going to build a wall around my heart, thereby building a wall around myself. Does this make sense to anybody? Does this resonate with some folks maybe? I mean, guard your heart. Build a wall, right? Build a wall. The problem is, is that walls, the problem with walls is that they are very good at keeping stuff from coming in. But they are equally good at keeping stuff from going out. In other words, if I understood guarding my heart as a way of of building a wall around my heart, then it meant that I wasn't letting life in and I wasn't letting life out. That I was keeping myself from all the bad things that there, there were in the world to tempt me and sway me and, and all of these things, but I was also letting all the good things, I was also keeping all the good things out. Maybe I could say it to you this way. Guarding my heart meant isolating my heart. And so it was just, it's just like, it was a way of approaching the Christian faith that was like, it's me, my iron will, and the wall that I have built. And we're going to make it to heaven, baby. We're just going to like, we're going to keep everything out until Jesus comes. That's like what building your, guarding your heart meant, you know? And maybe, maybe that doesn't resonate with you, but at least that's how I understood it. Uh, but, I, but, but listen, I also grew up in youth ministry. And so I also know that guarding your heart was narrowed down to sexual purity. Like guarding your heart was, was code for teaching junior high girls to hate boys. Right? It's like if you hate boys, you will not have sex before you're married. Praise the Lord. That's awesome. So guarding your heart was like narrowed to hate boys if you're a girl. If you're a boy, hate girls and just guard your heart. Go on group dates. See, it's not that funny because it's too close to home. Right? That's why. That's why. Guarding your heart in youth ministry meant kissing, dating goodbye, and not kissing till your wedding day. That's what it meant. Uh, and so I'm kissing, dating goodbye, and I'm not kissing till my wedding day. Um, but for fear that some of you might misunderstand me, here's, listen, I'm not saying that those things don't have some value. 
because they do. Right? Like, like, like I'm not saying that you shouldn't use that internet filter. You probably should. And, and there is some wisdom in not going to that place anymore. And, and the truth is, if we're just honest, you probably shouldn't hang out with them so much. Right? So there is this sense in which I am wise in what I do and where I go and the people in which I associate and the actions that I participate. But my point to you is that guarding your heart is not just behavior modification. There's something more going on here in Proverbs that the wisdom of God wants to teach us. If everything in our life flows out of our hearts, then then guarding it is certainly more than just modifying your behavior. Are you with me? And so I want to unpack this. It's, it's deeper than controlling our behavior. It, it, it's asking what is in our hearts that is causing that behavior in the first place. Did you catch that? I fear that too much of our Christian life is lived in sin management and behavior modification. And we're just trying through our iron will to avoid certain behaviors when what God really wants is for us to look into our hearts and begin to ask ourselves the difficult questions of what is causing, what is it in our heart that is causing us, causing that behavior in the first place? And and, and I I can tell you, and trust me on this, And you've probably experienced this. If all you ever do in your life is try to live a moral life through behavior modification and and through iron will, you will find yourself unchanged, feeling guilty, and stuck in the same behaviors. In other words, to really change Something has to happen in your heart, in the seat of who you are, the center of who you are. Something has to happen. And I think too much of of our advice uh, to the church in general and too much of our advice to teenagers is centered on behavior modification. When we need to get, when we need to fall in love with Christ again. And make him the center of our affection. Are you with me? That's really what I want to talk to you about today. Because guarding your heart has more to do with your relationship to God than it does to other people. It has a lot more to do with letting God in than it does with keeping people out. Because guarding my heart growing up always meant Keep people out. I don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls that do. (laughs) Right? Because I'm guarding my heart. And all the while, I was putting so much effort and so much energy in behavior modification and doing the right thing and not doing the wrong thing, and nothing was changing in my heart. And so what I want to talk to you today about is a heart change. 
and how God wants to guard our hearts for us. And so, uh, let's look again to the original language. The Hebrew word for guard in, the, in Proverbs 4.23 is, uh, is the Hebrew word natsar, uh, which literally means to watch, to guard, to keep, or to observe. In other words, it is not primarily about building walls to keep others out. But what I want to say to you is that guarding your heart is an attentiveness to your heart. Did you hear that? Guarding your heart is not building walls around it in order to isolate yourself. But guarding your heart is an intentional attentiveness to your heart. What do I, what do, I do Pastor Andy, to guard my heart? Well... Use the internet filter. Don't go to that place and maybe, maybe uh, be more discerning in who you hang out with and when you hang out with them and all those kinds of things. Yes, but primarily what I want you to do is learn to be attentive to your heart. That's what I want you to do more than anything. Last week I said uh, that we don't need to learn to lo- live from our hearts. We're already doing that. But we need to learn to make Christ our deepest treasure, our deepest affection. Uh, I want to spend a little bit more time unpacking that and what it means to stay in tune with what your deepest treasures and your deepest desires are. Because the reality is, if, if I answered one Christian cliche, guarding your heart, is to be more in tune with your heart, I'm answering a cliche with a cliche. Uh, because the reality is is that we talk a lot about being in tune with something, uh, but we rarely get to the fact of what does that actually mean. And so this morning, I don't want to answer a cliche with another cliche, uh, but rather I want to unpack them both uh, so that we can be transformed by the Word of God. When I talk about being in tune with your heart or being attentive to your heart, the question that I want you to ask yourself, and this is something that you can't, uh, you probably can't do just in a moment this morning, but something that you'll have to take time reflecting on and meditating on. Uh, but, but I want to ask you the question, um, what is your deepest love? What is your deepest love? Now, majority of you would be quick to say, God. And so I want to ask you the question, what is your deepest love really? That's a more difficult question. Um, Because we live in our actions and our behaviors And our decisions are all leading us to achieve or to get that which we love most deeply. Uh, Author James Smith says this in his book called Desiring the Kingdom. He says this. Our identity is shaped by what we ultimately love or what we love as ultimate. 
what, at the end of the day, gives us a sense of meaning, purpose, understanding, and orientation to our being in the world. What we desire or love ultimately is a vision of what we hope for and what we call and and what the thing that we call the good life looks like. So you have a vision of what the good life is. Whatever is at the center of that is probably most is most likely pointing you to that which you love the most. And so if the good life is having all the material wealth in the world and being famous, then probably the thing that you love the most is being recognized or known. Or probably the thing you love the most is wealth. You see, picture the good life. Whatever the good life is in your vision is pointing you to what you love most deeply, really. Are you with me? Now, I know this is deep stuff, but the Bible happens to be pretty profound, and I want to try to unpack some of that, and to do that, sometimes we got to take a deep breath, go deep underwater, uh, so that we can come up with a good, fresh breath of understanding at the end. Are you with me? And so... What is the good life in your vision? I would imagine that for many of you in our society and in our culture, the thing that you love the most and the thing that you value the most is productivity. There are many of you that you cannot rest. And by rest, I don't mean sleep. By rest, I mean In your waking moments, can you let go of the need and urge to produce and be productive? You see, for many of you, your value is based on the question, am I doing something productive? If you're not doing something productive, you don't see yourself as valuable in the world. And so if that's you, then there's a pretty good chance that your deepest love is productivity. I would imagine that there's some of you that you align your life, that the deepest affection of your heart, the deepest need of your heart is to be accepted. And so every decision you make, every place that you go, uh, everything that you do, every habit that you take on is, is in an effort to be liked, to be welcomed, to be accepted. This, by the way, is, is uh, one of the, the loves and the affections, the, the need to be accepted, is very prevalent among young people. And so they'll, 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 they'll form and shape and make decisions for their lives just to be liked, just to be welcomed into this particular place, this particular group, all of these kinds of things. They'll do anything to be accepted. Uh, I would imagine that there's others of you where your deepest love is recognition. 
And so the posture of your heart and the posture of your life and the action of your life is, I will work and I will learn and I will read and I will work until what I do is recognized, acknowledged, praised, written about, just recognized on some level until I am known in my little circle, until I am known nationally in the world for what I do and the contribution to my work or the contribution to my field. I just need to be recognized until I get the trophy, whether the trophy is a metaphor or whether the trophy is actual. It doesn't matter. I just need to be recognized. And until I'm recognized, I'm going to keep learning. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep working. And there's nothing wrong with goals and achievement and all of that. But it is as long as it does not steal the center of our hearts. Are you with me? And so there's some folks that the recognition is absolutely the love of their life. Others, or you're just trying to prove that you're worthy. Everything you do is just trying to scream to someone in your life, I'm worthy. I can do it. I'm worthy of the affection that I never got. Um, I'm worthy of the affection I got, but I felt like I didn't deserve. Everything that you do is, I won't stop until it has been proven that I can do it, that I'm better than the others, and that I have achieved. This is what it means to be attentive to your heart. This is what it means to be in tune with your heart. When When I'm saying, when I'm telling you to guard your heart, primarily is to be in tune with your heart. What I'm asking you is to ask those kinds of questions of yourself in your quiet time, in your, in your times of meditation and reflection and prayer to begin to go deeper into your life because I'm fearful that too much of our lives are lived on the, on the level of behavior modification and, and changing of the circumstance, right? When we go to pray, God, change this circumstance. God, change that circumstance. God, help me not to do this behavior and not to do that behavior. And I'm fearful that we just live on this sort of level. And what the scripture is calling us to when it talks about guarding our hearts is it's asking us to go, another level and then another level and then another level so all of a sudden our prayers aren't so focused on on God would you change this circumstance but now all of a sudden our our prayers are centered on God in the midst of this circumstance would you teach my heart something would you show my heart something would you guard my heart from what this circumstance is tempted to tell me and how it's tempted to lie to me Are you with me? Because some of you as I'm telling you and I'm talking about being attuned to your heart you're like I ain't got no time for that And you say it just like that, right? And you're thinking, man, life is happening and it is passing me by. I do not have time to be all meditative and in tune with my heart. That's for you. You're a professional Christian. But I I live in the real world. I don't have time to be in tune with my heart. I got too much life coming at me right now. But listen, all of life flows from the heart. But I suppose if we're totally honest, there's some of life that comes to us that doesn't have anything to do with your heart. Like, like when you got that diagnosis or when you lost your job or that thing happened or you have a crazy boss and you're just trying to get by, like, like when those things happen, those don't, there's life that comes to you that doesn't have anything to do with the condition of your heart. But what's important is how your heart responds to life. See, 
If your ultimate affection is productivity and you lose your job, then it will become very easy for you to believe that you aren't valuable anymore because you aren't producing. Or if the ultimate affection of your life has been production and then you retire and you feel like your life has been stripped of its meaning and its value. You see, how you respond to the retirement, how you respond to the job loss, how you respond to all of these things in your heart has everything to do with your life. Because some of the things like, it was, like when you lost your job, that was not an overflow of your heart. But how your heart responds has everything to do with the condition of your life and how well you live out your faith. Because, listen, if you get the news back from the doctor and it isn't good, it might say to your heart that you aren't good enough and you're broken. And some of you maybe have lived a life where you've had a pretty consistent stream of not great news from the doctor. But some of you maybe haven't, and you've, like, you've never had that disease, you've never had that, and you just kind of look at people and you're like, man, you're just sick all the time. But then you get sick. What happens then? How does your heart respond? Are you rooted well enough in the love of Christ that you don't believe the lie that the diagnosis would have you to believe that you are not good enough, that you are broken because of it? Oh man, I'm not broken. My body's just hurt. You see what I'm saying? We're gonna get to we're gonna narrow all this down to guarding our heart. That's where we're gonna land ultimately. But maybe you can't seem to overcome that habit or that attitude, and 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 you must ask your question, what is your heart looking for? And 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 I would want to, to lead you in this direction. Is your heart going there? Because that is where it's easy to be welcomed and accepted. You see, the deepest affection of our hearts has everything to do with our everyday life. With your like going to work, going to school, studying, uh, all of these kinds of things. These, your regular, everyday life. It has to do with it. Maybe you see that person every day at work and you face temptation. Why is your heart wandering from your first love? See, those are the questions that I want you to begin to ask of your life. Because if if everything we do is an overflow of our heart, then when I face that temptation or when when I'm going this direction, when I'm walking down that road, when I'm going here, it has to do with my heart. And so if I can always just point the question back to my heart, right? So, so there's that, that person at work, and, and I've been happily married for a number of years, but, but, but I find myself going there, and I'm walking down that road, and I don't want to. What is it in your heart that has made you wander from your first love? Is it the fact that in that situation, you feel recognized, appreciated, honored? Maybe it's your deepest affection of your heart, and your need of your heart is to be recognized. And it's being met over there. Now, all of a sudden, we've got some room to work and to recognize and to say, God, provide that for me. Heal this in my heart. You see what I'm saying? We could just pray, that person needs to quit. 
Or we could pray, God, do something in my heart so that I'm not tempted to wander. Now, the big question is, well, the, the point is this. The point is we need to be intentionally attentive to how life is affecting your heart. Because when life happens that it has nothing to do with your heart, these circumstances that come at you that you have no control over, how you respond to those is a reflection of the condition of your heart. Does that make sense? And so we need to be intentionally uh, attentive to the condition of our heart. Again, the point is not to build a wall to keep life out, both good and bad. The point is to be attentive to how life is affecting your heart. Now, the question that I have is, can I really do this on my own? I mean, can I really change my heart and just decide that Christ is my deepest affection? I mean, can I really just like, like, like face that temptation or try to overcome the habit or, or all this? Like, like life is happening. I'm attentive to my heart. Can I just one day decide, oh, Christ is the affection of my heart. Right? And like, like we would never do that, but that's what it looks like in our life if we're just honest. So many of us are just trying so hard. Like, Christ is the affection of my heart. Ah! I'm going to do it this time. I'm not going to fail. I'm not going to mess up. I'm not going to do it. But, but let me ask you the question. How have you been doing? How's that going? I'll not ask for a raise of hands. I mean, like, like, is there something else that the Bible and the gospel has to offer to speak life into this situation? Because if not, man, it's sure setting me up for failure. At least that's what I feel like. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7. This blew me away. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And then what? Many of you know this verse. And then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there seems to be this connection between prayer and the guarding of our hearts. Because in Proverbs, it's like, above everything else, like if I could say anything to you, I would say guard your heart because everything flows from it. And then Paul, speaking to the church in Philippi, says, Bring all your requests to God with thanksgiving by prayer and petition. And then when you do that, the peace of God will in fact guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I want to say explicitly what I think I said implicitly earlier, and that is we need to pray for our hearts. I mean, if nothing else, if you don't hear anything else today, I want you to hear this. When you go to prayer... 
Don't just pray for your circumstances to change. Pray for your heart to be formed. Pray for your heart to be aligned with what God would have for you in that situation. God, this is the situation I'm facing. And I'm not just going to pray for that situation to change. I can, and that's not bad. And if you're doing that, that's okay. But, but don't just live right there. Live in an area of prayer that says, God, here's the situation. You have the power to change it. But if you choose not to, there's work to be done in my heart. Because right now, this situation, this circumstance, this relationship is lying to my heart. And my heart is wandering away from you. My heart is being given over to other affections. And so God, more than anything, I need you to guard my heart. Because in those situations, you can rely on your own strength and your own will to build a fortified city around your heart, which will lead it to isolation. Or you can just trust God as a good watchman over your heart and call on his help. Does this make any sense, church? We need, listen, guarding our hearts looks way more like surrender than it does like bringing up arms. And guarding our hearts looks way more like God fighting for us than us fighting and fending for ourselves. That's Paul's point. That's Paul's point. Because the peace of God guards our hearts in Christ Jesus. It's interesting that today, in the progression of Advent, is the Sunday of peace. And peace has often been misunderstood as sort of this attitude that says everything's all right. Uh, peace is is not a uh, casual submission to the circumstances. Peace is knowing that in the midst of every circumstance, God is still good, and He's still in control. That's peace. Peace is not oh this happened and it's okay. Peace says God is still good and he's in control. And then I would want to say to you this. Peace is the recognition that every affection of your heart is answered and met in Christ. I mean, how is it that the peace of God will guard my heart? Well, if I understand peace as a recognition that whatever my heart needs, whatever the deepest affection of my heart is, is answered in Christ, then what does that do? That centers my heart once again on Christ. It trains my heart to make Christ my deepest affection. And if Christ is my deepest affection, your heart is sufficiently guarded. (laughs) Are you with me? Listen, listen let, me, let me use some of these examples. If, if, you're, if the primary love of your heart and affection of your heart is productivity, then above everything else, you just want to be productive because that's what makes you valuable, then that is answered in Christ who says there is work to be done in the kingdom and no activity is wasted in God's economy. 
I mean, that's good news. That every good work will be gathered up into God's good world and expressed in some way. If, you're, if you love productivity, Christ says, get to work. There's plenty of work to be done. If your primary affection of your heart is to be accepted, then that is answered in Christ, who loved you so deeply, he gave himself up for you. You don't have to change who you are to be accepted. You are already accepted in Christ. If the primary affection of your heart is recognition, then may you come into contact with the truth that God has numbered the hairs on your head. He has knit you together in your mother's womb. He knows you deeply. And he loves you. And those two things go together. Because I think so many times in our life we believe that if someone loves us, they don't really know us. And if someone really knew us, they would never love us. But in Christ, those two truths are meshed together where God not only recognizes you, He knows you deeply and He loves you. You see, every affection and need of our cardia is met in Christ. That's the beauty of Christ guarding our hearts for us. If you are, if the deepest need and affection of your heart is the need to prove you are worthy, you are worthy enough to be rescued by the Savior. You were counted enough that Christ died for you. Every need, whether I've mentioned it this morning or not, is met in the person of Christ. There is a connection between guarding and prayer because prayer is really telling God what we want. So that he can tell our hearts what we truly need. Did you hear that? Prayer is us telling God what we want. So that he can tell our hearts what we truly need. And so, Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation... You mean that situation? Yep. If you look up the Greek, the word every means every. (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with a heart of thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the result of that is the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So guarding your heart looks more like surrender than taking up arms. It looks more like God fighting for us than you fending for yourself. And so church, what does it mean to guard your heart? First and foremost, I would say, it means learning to be attentive to your heart. 
And then secondly, it is learning to pray on the heart, on the level of the heart. And asking God to do a work in your heart. And what you will find is that when we do those two faithfully, then the power of God and the peace of God comes in as a watchman and guards your heart on your behalf. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving. 